Okay, so uh, our, our subjects um, this week, we're moving away from the focus on Moses' leadership, which is what we were looking at last week. And we're going to be thinking more about the God that Moses followed. Remember I was saying last week that we are all, often at different times in our lives, both leaders and followers, and, and often at the same time. And that was true of Moses. He was a leader, but he was a follower of God, and we're moving our focus in that direction now. We're going to be thinking about what God wants from a covenanted people. And that's, uh, that's the, the title of our subject today, the next in our series. It's taken from the first part of Exodus 19, a covenanted people, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. There's a lot, a lot there, isn't there? The word covenant, uh, it's the key word that we're thinking about today. And it's defined in the Oxford English Dictionary as an agreement or contract. And that's exactly what the Old Covenant was. It was an agreement between God and his people. An agreement that made his people a covenanted people. But it also made God a covenanted God. And if you think about it, that's absolutely amazing, isn't it? The almighty God who created everything and who wants us to no one and has the right to demand unquestioning obedience from every creature that he has made, uh, binding himself with a contract, making himself or giving himself obligations to the feeble, sinful human beings that he has made. But the fact that God chose to enter into such a, a contract, such a, a covenant, tells us a lot about the kind of relationship that God wants with us. And that's another key word for us today, the word relationship. God doesn't want to just rule over us. He wants to rule with us, 2 Timothy 2 and 12. And as with any relationship, there are obligations on all parties, aren't there? Uh, whether it's a, a marriage, or whether it's a business partnership, or whether it's, uh, it's, it's more informal relationships between co-workers and, and friends. We have expectations as to how people should behave, don't we? And not surprisingly, the same is, is true with God, um, even more so. But we enter into relationships out of need, either emotional or because we have to work with other people or get along with others for, for some other reason. God didn't enter into a relationship with, his, with the people because he needed anything, did he? It was simply an act of divine love, uh, unfathomable love uh, and, and grace. <coughs> Now, trust. Trust is important in any relationship, isn't it? Uh, and it's not just about honesty. Um, the trust element also brings into the it, it, it brings into the into the picture the question of capability. It's about honesty and capability. Are the other parties willing and able? to fulfil their obligations, to, to keep their promises. And right at the beginning of the passage that we're going to have a look at in a moment, um, we see God presenting the evidence 
that he is willing and able to keep his promises. Now let's just read the passage. It's just the first six verses. So we're in Exodus 19, as I've said. Reading from verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Version as usual. So it says, On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So there in verses 3 and 4, God is presenting the evidence, as if he should need to, but he's presenting the evidence to the people that he's willing and able to keep his promises. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You know, to appreciate the significance of these words, I think we actually have to go back to chapter 3. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but, but where were they? They were in front of the mountain. Not any mountain, but the mountain. And I'm emphasising the mountain because that was really important. They were back at the mountain. They were back at the place where God first spoke to Moses when he spoke to him from the burning bush. And what did he say? One of the things that he said... Verse 12 of Exodus 3, God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This mountain. Big deal. Let's not forget what the people have been through what God had done for the people to get them to this mountain. The mighty power that he displayed in rescuing them from, from the might of Pharaoh and, and, and Egypt, the, uh, the subsequent destruction of the, of the Egyptian army when they tried to, to, to get them back, and the Amalekites that we were thinking about um, a few weeks ago, and the provision of food and water along the way. <laughs> As we read in verse 4, God said, you yourselves have seen all this. And likewise, um, I think for us, because we should always try and re relate this to ourselves, what does this mean for us? I think there are times when maybe we can feel unsure about the future. There are things happening in our lives that can be uncertainties. How can we be sure that God will look after us? We look back, don't we? To the things that we've seen. The things we have experienced in our lives. where God has looked after us. And often, when we've been so <clears throat> undeserving of that, of that help, we look back at our own spiritual journey and we can be reassured 
that God will continue to look after us in the future. His faithfulness never fails. So, God demonstrated his power and his ability to provide for them and to, and to keep them safe. Verse 4 ends with the words, brought you to myself. Now, I think that's just a, an, another lovely indication um, of the love and the affection that God, God had for this people. He didn't just say, brought them to this mountain, even though that was significant enough. He said, brought them to myself. And, of course, we know that's a feature of the relationship we have with God today, isn't it? Hebrews 10 and 22, let us draw near to God. Hebrews 4 and 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and receive um, and, and find grace to help us in our, in our time of need. Now, this wasn't just a fulfilment of a promise made to Moses. God had made earlier promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we also refer to them as, 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 as covenants as well. Except for those covenants, God mostly required just faith in return. Now he was setting out the full terms and conditions, um, um, everything that he was expecting. Verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenants. If you obey me fully and keep my covenants. If, then. You obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations. So there's an if and there's a, the, and, and, and there's a then. These are the words that show us that this was a conditional covenant, like most agreements um, are um, actually. But God's obligations to the people were going to be dependent on them fulfilling their obligations to God. We can see in verses 10 to 13, we're not going to go there because that's David's subject for next week. Um, but I think it's, it's worth just having a glance over at verses 10 and 13 because we can see there that the covenant, establishing the covenant, was a big deal. This was a, a big thing. They had to be, the people had to be prepared. Um, they, 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 there were very strict rules about the, how they could approach the mountain. There were severe consequences if they um, broke any of these um, rules. And I think we should keep in mind that this is just a little indication that agreements with God are a serious business, aren't they? And we've all done it. Um, we've made promises to God um, when we got saved, perhaps, when we got baptised, certainly, and perhaps many other commitments that we've made to the Lord over the years, and how many times do we fail to keep those commitments? How many promises to God have we, have we broken? We live in his grace, but it's uh, perhaps a, a reminder when we see how seriously God viewed his covenant in the Old Testament, that God, the consuming fire, views our commitments seriously and we should never, ever take them, um, treat them lightly. This was a conditional agreement. God could break it off at, at, at any time if the people failed to obey his commands. But let's just think about the order of things here for a moment. First, they were saved out of Egypt and there was no going back there ever, no, mo no matter what happened. First, they 
were saved from Egypt. And then there was the covenants, the expectations of, of obedience and, 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 and service. It's the same for us. First, God saves us in Christ, and there is no going back to our condition and our position before then, ever. First, God saves us in Christ, and then he calls us to live for Christ. Salvation is not conditional on obedience. But as the Israelites find, uh, found, our uh, enjoyment of um, the relationship with God, that can be spoiled, can't it, by our disobedience. We can never lose our salvation, but we can miss out on the blessings and the privileges that God wants us to enjoy in that life to the full of service that he's called us, he's called us to. So what were the blessings being offered to the people? Safety and security, they would be very relevant as they continued their journey through a very hostile land filled with enemies. And likewise, there was going to be the ongoing provision of food and water and everything, everything else that they, they needed. And God used that image, that lovely image of the, of the eagle um, carrying them just to um, indicate that he was already caring for them and providing everything that they they needed. But it was a status that he conferred on them in verses 5 and 6 that I think was the, the, the real game changer. Um, verse 5, again, he said, If then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was a, an, an awesome status um, to be given to the people and something that they didn't deserve. Um, no nation on earth could ever deserve it but even in human terms the little people of Israel didn't deserve it. In fact you don't need to go here either but just over in Deuteronomy chapter 7 a couple of verses that you will, you will probably uh, be familiar with you. Um, the um, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. You know that phrase, treasured possession it's the highest title that God could could give to them isn't it a king has many valuable things but the king's treasure the king's treasure refers to the things which he values most the things that he values more than more than anything else and, and that's what he called them he called the people of Israel my treasure. And when we find similar language being used in the New Testament to refer to us, God's people today, it should make us pause and think, shouldn't it? What does that mean? And is, is my life something that God delights in? Is it, is it worthy of that title 
the king's treasure, God's treasure, God's special possession, which is the, the actual language that we find in the New Testament. But that's, that's the status that he confers on his people today. Let's read those, those verses in 1 Peter 2 and 9. Well, I'll, I'll read them to you if you, if you just like me to. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, this is New Testament, remember? This is to the God's uh, people today. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful lights. There's an awful lot we could say about um, that verse, um, terms like holy nation and um, kingdom of priests, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of deep theology that uh, we, could, we, could, we could get into with that. But there's just two, just two aspects that I want to highlight today. Firstly is the word holy. It reminds us of the character of God, doesn't it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the character of God and it's what he expects of, of us today. Scriptures say, time and time again, we should be holy because God is holy. We can never be holy in exactly the same way as God because his holiness just transcends everything. But he wants us to live holy lives because we are children of a holy God. We should be morally upright, righteous, pure, Christ-like. In everything that we do, we should be holy because God is holy. So that's the first word. Character um, of our lives should be holy. But the second thing is purpose. As a holy people, we are set apart to serve God. So this aligns with the truth of sanctification that we talked about not so long ago. We are set apart to serve God. And that's the thing with the covenant. <coughs> It was a call to service. They were to be a kingdom of priests. And although the Levites, the tribe of the Levites, would later be designated as the priestly tribe, and within that tribe there would be individuals who have particular priestly duties, especially in the tabernacle and the later, the later temple, the whole people were regarded as a kingdom of priests because they were all called to serve God. The Exodus was about getting the people close to God so that they could serve him. Salvation for them wasn't an end in itself. Salvation for us isn't an end in itself. We were saved for a purpose. Now the people would never be able to keep God's commands perfectly, would they? We know that looking back. God knew that looking forward. In fact, there would be many times God knew when the people would not keep his commandments at all. They would go right away from him. Romans 7. Very important chapter. Um, insights into human nature and uh, the struggle that we all experience in trying to live morally upright, Christ-like lives um, for God. Romans 7 just highlights how impossible it is for sinful human beings to ever attain to God's standards. And yet God still wants a relationship with us. How so? 
Well, I don't think the reason has ever changed. It's the same as it was back in, 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 in the days of Moses. He, he loves us. That's the reason why he wants a relationship with us. It's because of love. But the ability for a holy God to have a relationship with a rebellious, sinful people then and, and now comes down to what Jesus did in his life and on the cross. He's the only one who ever fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant. And then he gave his life for all of us who couldn't. He met the requirements on our behalf and then he prayed paid the price for our disobedience. So under the new covenant, which is the term that we, we were introduced to in the, in the New Testament, and we often think about it in our remembrance, don't we? Um, in, especially when we're thinking about the, cup, the new covenant in his blood, paid for by the blood and the life of the Lord Jesus. The new covenant that Jesus initiated under that covenant, we're called to service today, aren't we? That's our privilege and that's our, our calling. And, and, and like Israel was in, in, in the days that we've been reading about, we are called to be a channel of God's revelation and a channel of God's blessing to the, to, to the whole world. As we read in, in, in 1 Peter 2, that we may declare, that we may declare the gospel of our Lord Jesus and his excellencies. God has given us that special privilege and the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And similar to the expectations that he set for his people at Sinai, linked to that special status of being the people of God, he expects us to live lives which are worthy of that calling. He expects us to live lives which glorify him. And so I'm going to finish with those verses in, in 1 Peter. The verse we read and, the, and, and a few verses that follow afterwards because it really does, uh, in, a, in, in a nutshell, uh, very succinctly really set um, God's expectations in the light of what he has given us and what he expects of us, uh, how we should live uh, our lives today. Uh, he says to us, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. May God bless these uh, few thoughts to us uh, today.